Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of Generation GC, Broken Hearts Parade from Good Morning Revival, Good Charlotte's fourth album released in 2007, with Justin Hensley from Punk Lotto Pod. Last week, we talked about Mountain from the Chronicles of Life and Death, and next week, we'll be talking about a song from Cardiology. This was originally episode 44, but the special emergency update episode on last December has pushed this to become episode 45. You'll hear me mention it as episode 44 at the end. Justin Hensley is one of the co-hosts of the podcast Punk Lotto Pod, and he's taken part in the punk and hardcore scene in a lot of different ways over the years, from playing in bands to booking shows, writing, and now podcasting. The premise of Punk Lotto Pod is that they assign their guests a year, and then the guests will pick a punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album to talk about. It's a really great listen. I highly recommend you check it out if you just want to learn more about punk music and all related genres through the ages. Justin lives in rural North Carolina with his wife and their pet cat, Edmund. Well, folks, this is our first episode of 2021. And as I write this intro, Generation GC is sitting at 4,884 plays via our sets on Anchor, and that's so sick. Like, we're going to reach 5,000 plays, I mean, honestly, well before the show turns a year old in April. And that just makes me so happy. It's it's incredible. Um, Just please, you know, keep engaging with the show online. Please send it to your friends that love Good Charlotte. And please reach out to me if you want to talk about the show, if you want to talk about Good Charlotte in general, or if you just want to be friends, because, you know, if you're a Good Charlotte fan, chances are we have some things in common. And now a reminder, please visit antisemitism.card.co and blacklivesmatters.card.co to learn more about antisemitism and the Black Lives Matter movement, respectively. Um, In 2021, I want to see us all continuing to educate ourselves and learn more about maybe things we don't understand or people who are different from us. Finally, Generation GC stickers are here. If you want a sticker, there's two ways you can get one. Number one, you can go to anchor.fm slash generation GC pod and click support and support the show on there. And that helps me keep the show going. Everything I make via Anchor goes right back into the show from the stickers themselves to new headphones, different cables, adapters, laptop stands, all the things that I need to make the show the best that it can be. Number two, you can make a charitable donation to any organization listed at blacklivesmatters.card.co. Whatever amount you can afford to give would make a huge difference. Um, And then you're going to take a screenshot of either your support of the show on Anchor or your charitable donation and send me that and your mailing address, and I will send you stickers. You can reach out to me on socials at generationgcpod, P-O-D, or send me an email, generationgcpod at gmail.com, and I'll send you stickers. Well, that's about it for our intro, and now on to episode 45. Okay, so Broken Hearts Parade is track 12 on Good Morning Revival, Good Charlotte's fourth album released in 2007. Track 11 was Something Else. Track 13 is March On. So you have kind of sentimental, sort of wistful, I guess. Um, Whatever this is, which I guess is pretty... 
you know, we'll dive into whatever this song is. <laughs> and then a super just emotional, contented, uh, feeling a lot of things, hopeful to end it. So this song was not a single, so there's no chart notes or radio play to mention. I don't believe it was ever played live. And we will dive into that. It was written by Benji and Joel Madden and Don Gilmore, who had produced this album. And hopefully that name sounds familiar, y'all, because Don Gilmore also previously produced the band's self-titled album, and he would later produce Cardiology. So, like, y'all should know that name. (laughs) We will talk about this in detail, but horns. This song has horns. And Justin, in your one of your messages to me, you said, Oh, I love the fake horns. I <laughs> think it's real horns. It's credited in the album booklet as the incognito horns. I tried to look that up. The only Discogs reference for the incognito horns is this song. There is a British acid jazz band called Incognito, but I don't think that's who's on this. Because there's nothing like about like you search incognito and go to Charlotte and nothing nothing for that comes up. Yeah, I can, I ran into the exact same issue when I was researching for this album too because I was like, yeah. who are the incognito horns? I cannot find any information about them, and I, they could be real. I don't know. I, I mean, guess we it could that be later. like <laughs> I I also have a thought that you know sometimes when celebrities like superstar artists write on a write on a song they'll use like a pen name mm-hmm. like I, I believe taylor swift will write with other artists and use a pen name kind of thing mm-hmm. um so it could be something like that and that's why we're not finding anything else out about the incognito horns especially because incognito makes me kind of think yeah yeah suspicious there <laughs> right 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 so uh, who knows who knows <laughs> There is also, I I found a GC Broken Hearts Parade Twitter fan account. Uh, They have not tweeted in over 10 years, but, you know, that exists. And I never knew this. I I didn't watch these shows. But this song was played on 90210 and The Hills. So, that's a thing. (laughs) It was played on 90210 Season 1, Episode 13, Love Me or Leave Me. And it was played on The Hills, Season 4, Episode 8, Don't Act Innocent. And I was like, that is kind of funny because, you know, obviously TV shows sometimes often will play songs that are not necessarily the singles, right? A song doesn't have to be a single or a radio hit to get TV syncs. But this is like such an odd song that I was like, what? Anyway, so I did some Googling. The Hills has played, like, a lot of good Charlotte. <laughs> I don't know why, uh, but whoever was, like, it, like so let, let's, let's go through this list. Uh, season 1, Episode 2, I Just Want to Live. Season 1, Episode 3, Hold On. Season 3, Episode 3, Keep Your Hands Off My Girl. Season 3, episode 14, Predictable. Season 3, episode 19, Break Apart Her Heart. Season 3, episode 28, Where Will We Be Now? I don't know. I, I guess someone working on the hills, you know, doing doing the music placements for the hills, just uh, really liked Good Charlotte. <laughs> I have a little something to add about the hills. Yes, yes. So, I don't... 
so <laughs> this is really odd too. The band Alkaline Trio is actually on an episode of The Hills. Like the band is on an episode. Yeah, it, and it's a pretty hilarious scene, honestly, because isn't so, The Hills like not scripted, but like they basically make up situations and they have to kind of play it out. It yeah, I thought it it had the impression that it was it was a like fake reality show. Yeah, and this, yeah. That like they had stuff written for them. Yeah. But the one scene where Aqualine Trio appears is one of the characters is, is knows someone at a recording studio, so they were meeting them there. And while they were there, Aqualine Trio is just performing a song off of This Addiction, I believe is the record. And um, they're just playing while the other characters are in like the sound booth just talking to each other and saying... like, And they're just like in the background? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably Alkaline Trio got a nice payday for that, you know? Like, I would assume. It was probably during their major label little step yeah. there. and But the, it ends in this hilarious fashion. It's just they're, they're standing there awkwardly watching one of the characters like, this is good, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And then like they stand there a few minutes later. And then a few minutes later, someone goes, let's go get sushi. And then they just leave. <laughs> I, I have never watched The Hills. I mean, maybe some passing moments. Um but I never like watched it. I know that mm-hmm. Elsie is like, you know, the the main main girl. I will say though, knowing what I know about the show, it's kind of funny that so much of this album is played <laughs> on the hills because they're like making this whole album that's about like their my my the the concise way that I would say it is like their frustrations and cynicism around Hollywood <laughs> and such. To to put it very succinctly. And that it gets played on the hills, a fake reality show about rich people in LA. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I feel like that's the kind of thing that good Charlotte would probably be like totally stoked about. Like, you know, so (laughs) also they're probably not mad because they probably got, you know, a little penny. Yeah, I would assume. I assume they get paid a decent amount just for <laughs> yeah. being on an MTV TV show. So. Yeah. Did you? So did you watch The Hills like outside of that uh, no. Alkaline Trio thing? No. Like <laughs> that. That kind of became like a little like viral thing amongst me and my friends. Sure. Yeah. Because we all live Alkaline Trio, so like. Well, and I was gonna say I don't think there's a huge overlap. Not to generalize, but I would not imagine there's a huge. You know what? You know what? I'm going to correct myself because I was going to say I don't imagine there's a huge overlap between people who like Alkaline Trio and people who watch The Hills. But honestly, like all my friends who like punk music, a lot of them also like reality TV. So, yeah, (laughs) it was an odd it was just odd seeing them on screen more so than even just hearing their music because we're all kind of used to. Oh, that's a band. Like their music is played in an episode, but the band itself usually does not show up in the episode or whatever it is. Right. right. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, oh God. Yeah, that's that's really funny, and I kind of want to go. I'm sure that's on YouTube, so I'll have to go watch that. Oh yeah, that clip is definitely on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. I'll I'll have to go watch that. I love that, and I don't know if you ever watched Degrassi. Not a reality show. A scripted show. Very much a scripted fictional show. But there was a great two-part episode with Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> I've seen episodes, but I've never been, like, hardcore into, like, yeah. whole seasons and series. The, the Taking Back Sunday episode apparently came about because Taking Back Sunday was, like, we want to be on Degrassi. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, before we get 
you know, deep into Broken Heart period, Justin, I want to help our listeners get to know you. So first questions I like to ask is when did you first hear Good Charlotte and what were your first thoughts on them? So I went down kind of a rabbit hole trying to remember exactly when I heard them the first time. Uh, My most standout memory is probably um, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Mm -hmm. Um, That was in 2002, I believe. Uh, I must have heard little things before, though, because I know that song now. And it probably got some radio play in my area, just not as extensively as Lifestyles. Lifestyles is the first time I was like, I know who that band, like, I know who this band is because of this song. And the weirdest thing is, like, I think the first place I heard the song, I also saw the video, was in a Walmart. Okay. Because they used to have these displays where they would have, like, their TVs and everything near, like, the music department. And I just, they used to play music videos on them. So, I mean, those are, (laughs) those are good placements for a band. Like, that's a really good placement. That's so much foot traffic. So, like, I saw that there and I was like, hey, this song's pretty catchy. Um, and then it got a little bit more radio play, and then Anthem had some radio play as well. Um, and then they, they got really big on that record. And I, I personally, I sent this in our, in our first conversation early mm-hmm. on, that I wouldn't call myself a fan of the band because it, they were just never a band that I got into myself. Sure. And uh, so, like, I didn't really get into them. So, like, and then, because during this time I was in my my like i listened to a lot of radio so there's still a lot of new metal in there um i was also listening to a lot of christian ska and punk so which honestly (laughs) is not that far removed from good charlotte but (laughs) right one of the bands i was obsessed with at the time was uh mxpx oh there you go they had some connections with on their 2003 album so i was kind of in that area but they just i they were never a band that i personally got into and then they kind of developed a reputation of not being very cool to like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm, I'm sure since you're doing this show, you're aware of. The- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I wrote a whole essay right before, like, actually right before I launched this show. I did an essay about how they're not cool. Right. They, they didn't have a great reputation. I don't know. It's probably just because of the, the type of exposure they had. Like, there's a lot of hot topic stuff with them on it yeah and hot topic is a weird like if you're under a certain age it's cool but the older you get or maybe even the deeper in your scene you get the less cool it becomes i think it's the deeper in your scene yeah yeah most likely because i got into like heavier music as i got older in my teens and then into the in my college years i was like really into metal it took me like out of college before I started going back into my punk roots, which is now where I firmly implanted. So, <laughs> so you've been involved in music for a lot of years, you said, and the co-host of, of punk lotto, that's your brother, correct? Yes, it is. It's Dylan. Yep. So how did you and Dylan, like how did that come up to start a podcast? So, we are from North Carolina, um, right. and I live in Hickory, North Carolina, and he lived 
in Winston-Salem at one point. And we started to do a podcast then. We recorded like one or two episodes. We didn't have a gimmick other than we were just going to talk about music. We didn't have any sort of like idea of even what the show would be. And then like we never did anything with them. (laughs) And then he and his wife moved to Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So I guess he was out there maybe even less than a year or maybe even just past a year. And I had this, I it kicking around in my head that like, I still wanted to do a podcast in some sort. So I pitched it to him as a way to stay in contact with him. Like basically to yeah. force him to have a conversation with me. <laughs> hey, we <laughs> got to talk at least once a week for an hour about music. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And we just came up with a good idea for the show, which has evolved quite a bit from its early stages, yeah. but. So the current model, at least what you were telling me is that basically you give your guest a year and then they pick an album from that year, somewhere in the punk or punk related kind of worlds. What, what's like the date range of years you're working with? Like, are we going all the way back to 1955 or is it like <laughs> a certain, like, is it like, like what's the date range? <laughs> so we were pretty strict with it. Originally we said, um, 1976, uh, because that was the year of the first Ramones record. Sure. Okay. And so there's a lot of albums that came and out before. And is that to present? Yes. 1976 okay. to the present. And like there's there's other bands that would be considered proto-punk or pre-punk yeah. that people tie into it that we wouldn't be against talking about. But just to give people a variety of choices, we start with 76 and use to today, yeah. So are you going like in order or is it kind of like a like randomly picking a year each time? So our early version of the show uh, consisted of us using a number generator to pick the year. Okay. So it it was we tried to like pick something from each decade. We wouldn't like to repeat a year in the same decade back to back early mm-hmm. on. But then it just sort of evolved into what our guests were comfortable with, what era of punk and punk related music that they were most familiar with. So. It would just be then like, what do you like? Nineties, eighties, you know, two thousands, you know, and then and then, and then you I would give them a year within that, right, right. So, I mean, obviously, there's you know, we're talking about several decades, but do you have any like just in mind any either any like particularly standout years with like a lot of great music, or any just kind of lackluster years? I thought of some good examples of both. Um, one year that I thought was like okay for good for good stuff. Nineteen ninety four is a great year, okay, because uh, that's Green Day's Dookie came out that year. Mm-hmm. A lot of other bigger, more like important records from that time period came out in ninety four. So that that was definitely a big standout year. And then ninety seven is another strong year because that's where the ska explosion happens. I think that and- was Blink one eighty two Dude Ranch too. Think, yeah, I believe that's right. There's a lot of emo in that year yep. as well. Yeah. And then like 2010 was like a shockingly good year, especially because okay. that was when I was very heavily involved in my local scene. So I, a- I 
2010, I would have been in Ohio in school, but I also feel like a lot of the stuff, like anything I listened to in college, so many of those bands put out great records in 2010. Yeah, it was a really great year for the um, the emo revival, which yeah. was like snowing and Algernon Cadwalder, and and then there there was like the um, I guess the fest punk, for lack of a better term, yeah, like yeah. your Iron Sheik and Reviver type bands. But yeah, 2010 was a really great year. Yeah. Uh, as far as lackluster years, um, <laughs> I found that the late 80s are especially light when it comes to like really great records. Really? Um, 1986, that's the year I was born. Uh, you, you always hope that the year you're born is like a lot of great records came out that year. Yeah. There's not a ton of good stuff that year. And I've always been disappointed. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, there's some good college rock, I guess. That's, that's about all, really. And then I'm trying to think of another year that wasn't... A lot of those late 80s years were not great. But then I distinctly remember we did a decade review of the 2010s. Okay. And we were like going through each year in that decade talking about records we liked. And then 2014 and 15 were really light on stuff that like we were like hardcore into. Like there's, there's great stuff every year regardless. But those two years I remember thinking is like, wow, what, what happened? Like, yeah, <laughs> we were on a roll. There's some really great years at the beginning of the decade. And yeah, I think the scene tried to changed a bit. And didn't really have an identity. Yeah. And I think that might explain why it was so weak. But yeah, those are those are some notable years. Yeah. I mean, I will say I went to Fest in 2014. And I can yeah. only tell you a handful of bands I saw. But <laughs> I had a very good time. <laughs> like, you know, I just kind of like run around and see like whoever. Oh, yeah. I've been going to Fest since Fest 7. So, so. Were you, would you go like every year? Yeah, yeah, I've not oh. missed a year, uh, except for this year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and maybe next year. I don't have a oh, pass. Oh, who knows, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, that was my uh, thinking. I was like, is it going to happen? I'll wait and maybe buy a pass later, you know, yeah. second market if I have to, but right. if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've been the one time I was a photographer, and I, I'd, I'd love to go down again, you know, if it ever were to uh, to work out. Yeah. Um, one thing I was also curious about is how are you choosing guests to come out, to come on your show? Like what makes someone, what makes you go, oh, that's someone that I really want to have on Punk Lotto. So the first 40 or so episodes, we had no guests. Okay. And we were getting, we got a lot of negative reviews. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> From people who just didn't like our opinion. <laughs> So, it, you know, now you're it, like, oh, you can just get mad at somebody else's opinion, <laughs> not mine. So we were like, we got to have a different t opinion on our show other right, than the two right. of us. Like we're brothers and we're four years apart and our taste of music is very similar. So right. we needed a dissenting opinion. So it started by just having a couple of our friends on people who were like in bands or ran re record labels. And then it became just basically anyone who like interacted with us a lot on social media. I just reached out to them. And then like, I guess the most recently it just became who put out a record this year that I really like. And right. I asked them. So why not? Yeah. 
we used to say like the the cheat code to get on be a guest on our show is just to talk at us a lot online and we'll have you on (laughs) i mean i will say that's the also effective for generation gc (laughs) (laughs) i think i want to say because i know it was twitter we connected on i Mm -hmm. feel like it was scott at flying the call tagging us i was thinking that too i want to say he's a few times done tweets where he's like oh here's like a bunch of podcasts i like yeah he's definitely done that where he'll just like it's time to share you know all these podcasts that i really like so i yeah. definitely think i i went through that list and like added everybody he yeah tagged. Same. scott's great oh so. he's great he's he's on episode 42 <laughs> by the way yeah. which you have not heard at this point but it will have aired by the time this goes live awesome i'm looking forward to hearing that one it's it's a great one <laughs> so last question before we dive into broken hearts parade and you don't have to answer this like with a solid answer right now but you can if you want i was thinking we could revisit it later is good charlotte punk are they pop punk can a band be both punk and pop punk what are what are your just initial initial thoughts on that question all right gut feeling like immediate like just right out the gate uh yes of course they're a pop punk band like for sure um there is definitely a type of punk fan who thinks that you have to have a certain attitude or act a certain way to even be allowed into this special club (laughs) which i i i kind of think is like extremely not punk but (laughs) right right so to me there are some elements of punk that like there are some elements of punk that is just like i i don't think that would be allowed usually it's more like overtly awful people you know like racist homophobic that kind of stuff people can get into punk and then turn out to be really you know bad people but the scene itself kind of has this policing aspect as far as like, we don't want to be associated with that person. So right. I think, yeah. I, who is a punk? Like who is to say what is or isn't right. a punk? Right. So there is a sound element and there is an attitude element, but even then it can be many, many things. So yeah, sure. I definitely think good Charlotte fit. Sure. Awesome. So, I feel like this song is pretty divisive. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you about it. Because there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Why why did you want to talk about Broken Hearts Parade? So, the reason why I even started talking to you about being on the show is you you asked for people who wanted to talk about Good Morning Revival Mm -hmm. on Twitter. And I think I just responded with... Um, I've always thought that was a good pop record. Like it's just yeah. a solid, enjoyable pop record. And not, even though I'm not necessarily a good Charlotte fan, I had heard this album in 2007 and thought even back then, I was like, this is a good, this is a good yeah. record. <laughs> yeah. It was unexpected. So then I went through the list of what songs you haven't covered yet or what were still available. And I was like, oh, the river's gone. Uh, the um, 
I don't want to be in love's gone. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh, well, what is it? What's this down here at the end? And so I got the broken hearts parade and my initial reaction was, this is the song with horns in it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this is the one I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. It, so do you like the horns? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I like them. I, I think they're kind of silly, but I also feel like this song is kind of silly. It, yeah, it is a little bit. I don't know if you want to save that, but. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, let's talk about, I guess, what the song is about as well as like what kind of tone, like what, what is, what do you think is silly about it? So I was trying to figure out like exactly what about this song that was just slightly off. Right. Right. And part of it, I guess it, yes, there's horns in there, which they've not really used before. Correct. Ever. And they never used, I don't think they ever used since. <laughs> so like that was initially like, huh, that's, that's a choice. Um, right. Right. <laughs> but then like digging into it's like a faster song too for the album. If yeah, that's if a it's good not point. the fastest song on the album, maybe I don't I don't know how you could really judge that, but like BPM, but I don't right. <laughs> but like it's definitely the most one of the most upbeat tracks on the record. Um, but digging into the lyrics, I kind of get the feeling that like it's not really about anything or any particular event specifically yeah it feels more like just a combination of like ideas maybe or like concepts and then like this is about a specific person a specific right yeah right it's honestly it felt a reading the lyrics and listening to the rest of the record it feels like album filler Mm. in the sense but they wanted to try something different it you know they didn't want to waste it with just like here's just a throwaway track but like they I wanted feel to like, stretch. See, I, I feel like lyrically it actually fits in pretty well with the rest of the okay. album. Um, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll make my case. I, <laughs> I, I feel like this song is coming from the place, like the point of view of someone who is just pretty, pretty jaded about love. Like maybe they had a recent breakup. Maybe they just had a lot of issues growing up. You know, maybe they just have not been lucky in love. And they've just kind of, they do, you know, they, you just get that belief that love isn't real. Everyone has baggage. Everyone you ever want to date is going to break your heart. Everyone who appears to be happily dating someone is breaking their hearts. Uh, there's no such thing as a healthy, loving relationship. Um, I think what's kind of odd about this song is the point of view. Like, because you're right, it doesn't sound like it's about a specific person or specific thing. Mm. So it's like, is he writing about himself and like his own attitude? Like, is he a member of the broken hearts parade? (laughs) Is he commenting on other people? Is he commenting on a specific person that, that, that is like, as I was like re-listening to it, getting ready for this, that's what I was thinking about. Like, what's, what's the point of view here? And what really throws the song off is this weird, like, there's other people in the parade. You know, he's talking about yeah. we're wearing black, you know, we're singing along. So 
it is yeah from the point of view of someone who's who's gone through some bad experiences or bad relationships maybe the we is like his fellow you know our our narrator's fellow single bachelor friends that are also pretty like angsty about love <laughs> and I, I i think that might be what it is it's yeah it's people it's it's maybe it's this misery loves company type yeah. attitude yes yeah so like it's like i'm going to get together with all my friends who have also had these same problems and we're going to you know help help each other out maybe i guess being around each other bitch together you know yeah like you you wonder if it's like they got together because of negative reasons so it's like is this a good right relationship or is it more toxic right, <laughs> right. i mean uh, you know i think it's good to talk about your experiences you know <laughs> especially if there was like a recent situation it felt like it was just a they had he had I don't know who the primary songwriter was on this one lyrically, um, but it feels like they just had a couple different ideas and kind of like, well, let's just put them together. Right. This one one song. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder if there's like a couple different situations being referred to maybe like, the first verse he's talking about everywhere we go, we've got skeletons that follow. We got baggage, you know, we're going to drag it everywhere we go for everyone to see. And then the the second verse, they talk about how do we get started? Let go of your heart, love it, live it, leave it, and get into it. (laughs) Like, just ignore your heart. Um, So I'm kind of like, is that two different situations? Like, two different conversations? Maybe, Maybe that's the Broken Hearts Parade, is these, like, a whole bunch of people who are, you know brokenhearted and forever alone are giving each other unhelpful love advice (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is an odd see like it's almost like two different like there's the one who's talking about all their baggage and then also love it and embrace it almost so yeah i don't know yeah i i kind of feel like it's two like two separate pieces of advice those two verses Mm -hmm. right um and they're two pieces of love advice from from someone who is you know not feeling um someone who's like not a hopeless romantic someone who's not feeling very romantic yeah (laughs) but then i just yeah i don't understand where the parade comes from like who are they exactly in relation to the first, I don't know. Yeah, that that I don't know. So every the chorus reads, and the broken hearts parade, I'm putting my heart out on display. There's no masquerade, just a funeral march for love today. The band strikes up and they're playing our song, dressed in black, and we're singing along to the broken hearts parade. And I've never been better than I am today. I kind of think it's like a word that sounded good. <laughs> like that's what I kind of get out of this, which again adds to it being kind of a silly song. Like the broken hearts parade, and I'm putting my heart out on display. There's no masquerade, just a funeral march for love today. Like to me, as I'm like sitting down and reading that, I'm like, that just sounds that sounds like lines that someone that is, you know, has a bad attitude about love due to their past experiences. They're just like spitting things out and that's valid right like i (laughs) i've been there yeah it's like i don't care 
this is how I feel. Like <laughs> it's it's like a theme song kind of, right? Yeah. Like because it's not really and then the bridge, they go, I used to lie awake at night and wonder when she's coming home. It used to be so hard to wake up every day. Like, does that relate? Maybe that relates to whatever's going on in the two ver- first two verses, but it's not really clear if it does. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's an idea and just like, all right, this and this and this. Like, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's all about yeah. one person, per se. Because that's even a past tense there. I used to lie awake. I used to be hard to wake up. Yeah. So is it not anymore because you found the parade? Maybe. Well, <laughs> right. Maybe it's like I used to be so like down and lonely and now I've decided that I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm over it and I'm just going to have this attitude where nothing can affect me and I'm going to be emotionally unavailable and that's how I'm going to get through the day. <laughs> yeah it definitely just strikes me as like good ideas for lyrics and then right. they're like oh well we need some verses to go along with it <laughs> too it, it kind of strikes it definitely strikes me as like a theme song or like a closing theme mm-hmm. right and then you have march on being played as the credits roll right right or or maybe march a- on is like your prologue song or something you know so this is or like epilogue. The, epilogue, sorry. Yeah, epilogue. this is the uh, the climax. Like it's a, a it's a rousing like we're all in this together type. Yeah. Call to arms, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With without necessarily saying it as much, I guess that's what the parade is like. We're all in this together, healthier yeah. or not. Right. <laughs> Let's go into what the band has said about the song. Okay. Yeah. So. Billy told Pop Matters that he hated the horns. <laughs> horns are divisive. Yeah. So I'm just going to read this. <laughs> I absolutely hated the horns. I protested them as much as I could, but I got voted down. I've never <laughs> been a fan of that kind of stuff. It's just two nineties. They can't seem to love it because they say it sounds like our first record, but I just can't get into it. We tried it live once and it was a disaster. For the horns, we used a computer and it was so bad that we just started laughing on stage. We knew that we would never try it again. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I. Does he think it's 90s because 90s ska was a big thing? Maybe. Because to me, the song itself does not sound especially 90s. No, doesn't sound 90s to me either. Maybe it's, I guess maybe it is just the horns thing. And the part about it being they used a computer. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder still, like, was it fake horns in the well, first? Well, but th- I, I don't know if necessarily because maybe they tried it live and it was, uh, you know, who knows? I don't know if it was real <laughs> horns on the record. I kind of think it is. But maybe they had you know they tried to use a computer to play like a recording Mm -hmm. like a sample of it and it just did not sound good yeah because unless you're a ska band you're not gonna have like a trumpet player on tour right unless you're yeah you're gonna go out and like actually get a horn player to come on tour with you yeah yeah for one song (laughs) right (laughs) i just have to mention that billy also mentioned to the georgia Strait that he did not like this song (laughs) so here's a paragraph and we'll talk 
I also want to talk about like this piece as a whole because the whole characteristic of this piece like is something. While Martin admits that the band absolutely worries about a diminishing audience, his personal animus toward the album's token return to pop punk bounce, Broken Hearts Parade, is revealing. I protested the Scott Horns. I wasn't feeling that, he says, before glumly adding that it was nonetheless polled as the fan favorite on the band's website. <laughs> so, I don't know if you got a chance to read this whole article, but it, like, the writer of the article made Billy sound like he was just over it. Like, annoyed at the interviewer, like, not into the conversation, but also just over like being in the band like or or maybe me not over being in the band but like over talking about the record and that was like the whole thing of this piece was that negativity so like i i i do wonder like was the interviewer you know, did the interviewer pull this from certain parts to put together a certain story, or was that representative of, you know, the entirety of the the conversation that was had? You know, it's very well possible because a, a writer yeah. does have a narrative regardless of totally, yeah. how objective they claim to be. So it could be that, like, this writer was just, like, maybe not a fan of the band and was just, like, this is my interpretation of... right this conversation and it could just been an off day. (laughs) Right. Right. Could have been an off day where he was like just exasperated and he had done five interviews in a row. And (laughs) I do object to him calling them ska horns. Um, Yeah. Just because they're horns doesn't make it actually ska horns. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So like what, I mean, how do we define ska horns then? Cause like in terms of a guitar rhythm, I could sort of identify like what a ska guitar rhythm would sound Mm -hmm. like and i you know ultimately i guess there's no specific ska horn sound i think it has to be accompanied with a more traditional like upstroke guitars like a dance like kind of like a dancing bass line because i'm trying to think of like any of the like every ska album i've ever heard that has horns on it because you can be sky without horns totally uh, <laughs> uh it doesn't necessarily have like the horns sound like this because yeah. the mighty mighty boss tones are a perfect example of a band with a giant horn section that they are definitely professional like horn players and then there's maybe the sky band who has like one horn or like a sax and yeah. it's not just this one sound. So I think you need the guitar work and the bass to truly make it a ska song because you like plenty what of What would ska bass be like definitively? There's a lot of like walking up and down the neck. Um, just like a lot of action, like not instead of like playing like a root or like the same thing strummed over and over again. Like it's definitely like a unique, I don't know. It's much more complex than your like a pop punk song. Okay. So, and then like with horns, there's plenty of soul and funk records that have horns on them too. So those are clearly not Sky records. So, do you know Keep Flying, the band? 
No. Unfamiliar. So they, uh, two of the band members, although I think DJ left, uh, but it was at one point Henry and DJ Menzel, Charlie, Peter, John. And I would say, but John plays sax and DJ was playing trombone. But I would have said Keep Flying was more of like a pop punk band, if anything, Mm -hmm. that just happened to have some horns. But DJ and Henry's previous band, Survey Says, was more of a ska band. Yeah, like Five Iron Frenzy is one of my all-time favorite bands, and they're they're called a ska band, but a lot of the ska elements kind of disappear on like the sec- the back half of their catalog. Hmm. So then they turn into more just like um, a pop punk or just even almost alternative rock at some points with horns. So yeah, there there's lots of uses of horns that can. I mean, you could have horns in pop music, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Like hip hop uses samples oh. with horns in it all the time, you know? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horns itself does not make ska. And you can be ska without horns. Yeah. I I don't know. I some of the first records, some of the first guitar record has like kind of been compared to ska. Um I guess because of like Waldorf Worldwide, which is I don't know. People say you can sort of hear like a reggae-ish kind of, but I don't know if I really buy that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a ska expert at all, <laughs> but I, I don't feel like this is ska despite the inclusions of horns. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never even really tied them in with ska in any yeah. way. Even the early stuff I've heard, I've not thought yeah. of them as a ska band. I, I'm not a Scott expert either, but I've definitely, uh, our show, we've, we dedicated the month of August, uh, to what we called Scoggist. And, uh, we only talked about Scott records for the month of August. So like, I love that. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of Scott in my life. So, um, yeah, I've never grouped them in with that at all. Yeah. I, I've always felt like I need to check out more Scott just because I know there's like, so much history and so much to learn uh but please tell me you're familiar with Scottoon network oh absolutely i i love that jer spends all day on twitter just explaining ska to people <laughs> i love it's amazing <laughs> it's a thankless task almost at this point oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> I would. I wonder if they would be uh, be into this because then we could really have a discussion on, on Scott. Uh, right? You- they're they're super knowledgeable of. Yeah. Like, there's all those videos of them on there saying, like, explaining what Scott is. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think they would. They would have an opinion on this song. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and I. Ska to me, like as much as I like, I could sometimes equate Good Charlotte to somewhat of a cult band. Like, despite how big they got, they have like a pretty passionate following. Um, but Ska to me, from the little I know about it, just feels very much like a, I don't know, like a cult or like a big family. And like, I would 
mentioned some ska band I had known, like a local New Jersey ska band to someone I went to school with in Ohio. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. And I'd be like, what? Like, why do you know who that is? <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely, like, if you were of a certain age and you were, like, around when ska exploded, there's yeah. there's a different subset of people who were just into it because it was what was popular at the time. But then there's those other people who, like, took it and kept it and ran with it for it kept it alive throughout the yeah. 2000s when there weren't that many big ska records so i mean I, I don't think ska will ever die like no it never will i mean it's gone to, back to the what 40s and 50s so yeah yeah it's ska will never die it'll just evolve again into something yeah. new like it always has yeah uh justin did you have any like memories that you wanted to share about broken hearts parade so i was trying to remember when i heard the song for the first time and i want to say it was my last semester in college it would have been spring 2007 and my uh fiance at the time told me that like hey the new good charlotte record is actually really good like we were very surprised because they were just not one of our bands. And so I was riding with a friend in their car and I want to say the river came on and I was like, this is good. Like I was really surprised. And so then I downloaded the album, listened to it, picked out some of the songs I liked. And then, but when I got to Bergen hearts parade, it was definitely like, this is my favorite song on the album. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so different from the rest of the record. Um, even like removing the horns, like guitar wise, it feels more like an older record. And maybe that's what Billy was also yeah. getting at too in that interview. Cause even it's like a faster song and it just feels like more like their early material. Cause I kind of wonder what if they had just done this without the horns and truly leaned into that, like, they're very different songs but i think of like i heard you which was like on the first record and that was like a pretty fast song and i could almost hear like those kind kind of guitars in this song yeah i mean it definitely could have been a single well i don't know a lot of times record labels like to pick songs that are not necessarily representative of the album and it's like the band trying something different so maybe it wouldn't have yeah who knows? I I don't know. But Paul, oh, I also wanted to mention Paul had told, Paul Thomas had told Top Tables in Bangkok that he refuses to play this song live. So <laughs> I, I I don't know. Maybe that's because of the, the horn incident that Billy mentioned. Maybe Paul voted for the horns and then they tried to play it live and it didn't go well. You know, I think a lot of bands have those songs, too. They're just like, oh, yeah. no, we don't play this live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People might like it, but we're not going to play it. Right. <laughs> so if we're going to lean into, you know, the uh, different things you could do with this song, we got to mention Greatest Remixes. So y'all listeners know my feelings about <laughs> Greatest Remixes. <laughs> This song was included on there not once, but twice. <laughs> why was it included on Greatest Remixes twice? Because why not? So the first one was featuring Filiano and Tabby Boney. 
And it was like kind of a chill reggae type of vibe, which is, you know, a, a step away from ska, if we're saying this is ska. Yeah, it, I listened to both of these that yeah. were on this album, and this is the one I like the most. Same, same. Uh, it, it I, did, I didn't like the other. The other yeah. one, the second one was Prophet and Vanderbilt. Uh, but yes, go go on with the Filiano and Tabby. Yeah, the Filiano one has this like dub vibe to it. Yeah. That I guess they heard the horns in the song and were like, Let, let's let's lean into that. Like, let's right. make it more like a chill dub remix. And it works like really yeah. well. <laughs> the other one, like, I don't know what they really even did with that one. Yeah, it I really don't. They took away a lot of the instrumentation and just kind of put this like slight sort of synthy beat over it. And yeah. And didn't there's like an effect on the vocals too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just it's not very memorable. The first one was it's much not. better. Yeah, the first one was much better. Um Yeah, the first one was much better to the point that I'm like, I, I wonder if it was just they were just reaching out to different people and the people kind of picked which songs they wanted to do. And that's why this song is on there twice. <laughs> do any other songs appear twice on there? Uh we're gonna check right now because I was just thinking about that. Because I'm unfamiliar with the remixes album. Yeah, you're fine. Um, no, no other song appears twice. <laughs> hmm. So it definitely spoke to them in some way. Yeah. I mean, it's also maybe they were like, okay, well, there's a lot you could dig it, like t- some different angles you could dig into with this song. So <laughs> open to interpretation. Yeah. And I guess if it, was pulled as a fan favorite on the website, uh, then that would explain why they're like, all right, we can do this twice. When was that poll taken? I don't know. Um, I, I assume because those, the interview with Billy, those interviews were both like spring, summer 2007. Um, so I assume it was like around then. So it was probably like even a poll specifically to the album. Probably like, what's your favorite track on the record? Yeah, that that's, that's, that's the impression that I got. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So maybe that actually that would make a lot of sense if if that inspired the uh the choice to put this song twice on Greatest Remixes. So one thing I was very delighted to find is a like academic paper. So the paper is called Tipping the Scales, a Substantive Theory on the Value of Group Music Therapy for Supporting Grieving Teenagers. Uh, in the publication as Qualitative Inquiries in Music Therapy, an issue in 2010, and the author is Katrina McFerrin. So I, I read bits of the paper, but you know, academic reading is is hard to read. Right. <laughs> the the concept that I what I understood of the concept of this study was they had groups of teenagers who were grieving and they would like bring it they would both bring in songs that like they liked. Um and they would like talk about the music and they would play music. And there's a whole list of songs. Uh, and I'll link this paper in the uh, in the show notes. But there's a whole list of songs that 
there was like a list that was songs about grief and then there was just songs that the members of the group brought in songs mentioned in group and someone in the study loved this album because they also mentioned the river and dance floor anthem <laughs> so there's someone in the in the study who was just like they must this is yeah. what 2010 when this happened yeah yeah 2010 so hmm so someone was like i like this album <laughs> yeah i mean hey i like if i had you know been in a, a study about music therapy i'm sure i would have brought up whatever good charlotte record had most recently come out you know (laughs) um that is really really funny though but i looked at the whole list of songs and it was like there was blink 182 i miss you like a lot of similar kind of veins uh they said the majority of the songs were punk rock or alternative rock for group one where group two which is the one that selected this song selected rock music with more of a popular or dance influence hmm this sounds like this album rock music with a (laughs) pop or dance influence (laughs) i you know i i think that's a cool study like i i I pulled up the list too because i wanted to see what other yeah what other i like that they put green day as one word yes yes (laughs) well it's, it's like an academic writing you know, I, I would I would hesitate to guess that the person who did this study is a music fan if that's like their field of research. Right. But so, yeah, you wouldn't go into music therapy if unless you were right. a, a big unless fan you of probably it. also had like a personal connection to music. Right. Um but Somebody brought in a Mike and the Mechanics song, which I thought was you surprising. <laughs> I think there was some Mind Humble Romance in there. Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if we talk about like grief and you know, welcome, welcome to the Black Parade. Yeah, is on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess those are the closest sounding bands: Good Charlotte, Mike Humble Romance, and Green Blink. Day. Blink. I think there was definitely a Blink song. There's a couple Lincoln Park songs, which yeah. you know, if we're talking about teenagers, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lincoln Park's going to make an appearance. Yeah. I would be really curious, like, this writer's, like, what music was this writer into? Like, the the, the researcher, the one who wrote this, uh, right. this academic paper. Yeah. It'd be funny if it was like, this is not my music at all. What are- <laughs> Right. Like, what have I gotten into? But it could be someone who is, like, not that far removed because maybe this is someone who is in grad school and they're 23 and they were like, oh, this is, like, not like I love the first Blink record, you know, like who knows? I was looking at group, the group one CD one. Yeah. Someone picked an Elliot Smith song and two Sarah McLachlan songs. Like, Ooh, Ooh. Those, those are very sad people. I, <laughs> mean, I mean, yeah, it's a study of teenagers who are grieving. So right. yes, it's a very definitely sad people. That Yeah. That's a group that's definitely had it harder. It seems yeah. like if you're using uh Elliot Smith. Yeah. <laughs> But I think something I also gleaned from my little skim of the study was that it wasn't just songs about grief, but that teenagers who were grieving were trying to figure out, like, their sense of identity and who they were. And so just any music that kind of talked about that was also really helpful. Yeah, because teenagers especially are the ones who are yeah. like, who, what, who am I? What am I? What's my yeah. everything? And if you have, so. like, a major loss when you're a teenager, that's like, that would totally just... Yeah, make that even harder. 
Yeah, it'll just like amplify everything that just the average teenager was going to be experiencing. Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's read some reviews. There's some commentary from Enemy in their review, and Enemy has been so like back and forth on Good Charlotte. <laughs> so we're just gonna read this. Dance floor anthem, Broken Hearts Parade, Misery. It might be all the rage for supermarkets to label their products, but for effectively posting their latest album's nutritional content in the form of a track listing, Good Charlotte should be praised. Just imagine, a world where you can walk into HMV, pick up a CD, and read exactly what you're going to get out of it on the reverse cover. But despite their claims of a complete reinvention, and of ignoring the bandwagoning Panic at the Disco caught electro bits, this is still unmistakably Good Charlotte. Vile, goth jock pop, with all the wit and nuance of a urine-soaked sock. Infectious, irritating, discolored, Good Charlotte have all the makings of a fantastic venereal disease. Good Morning Revival, then. It's like chlamydia for your ears. Uh, uh, initial, initial reaction, the urine-soaked sock comment and the chlamydia comment, completely out of line. This is clearly someone who... In 2007, was like Green Green uh, Green Charlotte. <laughs> Good Charlotte is not cool now, so we are allowed to yeah. really rip on them. Yeah. yeah, they they had a, a similar review of uh, cardiology a few years later, but yeah. yeah, this like outside of the the comments that I pointed out with the sock and the disease mention, which I just think are incredibly out of line and right. Not even relating to the music, you know what I mean? Vile goth jock pop with no wit and nuance. Like, frankly, yeah, that, whatever. Like, say that, you know what I mean? Um, Infectious, irritating, discolored, whatever. Like, a lot of what they say about the record, I'm like, I could see why you would say that, right? Like, the track listing as a label, but, yeah, it's... It was not the same person that reviewed cardiology for NME. Um, but whoever reviewed cardiology for NME a few years later had like a very nasty, nasty review as well. Not right. as vulgar, but just like it's, not things you should say. Like like they're not relevant. It's trying to push the button as far as like yeah. if I say the most outrageous thing about this record, then people will be more interested in my writing. Oh yeah. Whereas instead, it's like, well, you're not actually being objective in any way. Or, or music is such a subjective thing, but at the same time, yeah. there is some objectivity as far as like it took some effort to make these songs. So, like, to call it a urine, that urine soaked sock line it's is just the like one that, that there's nothing like that and the chlamydia venereal yeah. disease line. To me, it's like that is offensive it has nothing to do with the song itself it'd be one thing if maybe the album was like putting across a message that was like just deeply offensive well but even even frankly it's like look like stds are real like yeah yeah you know it, like when it's like they could have said with all the wit, on, wit and nuance of a wet sock yeah like, they could have said that. It would not have been, like, vulgar. It would have got the exact same point across. 
there was this this attitude in the I saw this discourse actually this week, which I guess we're recording this a little earlier than when it'll come out, but I saw some discourse on Twitter talk from other writers talking about the early two like the two thousands especially, like the pitchfork reviewing scene was was just trying to top each other as far yeah. as like mm-hmm. being mean about records. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And then how writing has in the recent years kind of evolved into talking about stuff you, the writers actually like, which I have a lot of theories on, but so like it, it, it it's funny to see this review from this exact time period when right. I've just been reading about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I saw, I'm sure I saw a lot of that discourse, that same mm-hmm. discourse that you did. Um, you know, I, I will never, like, I don't think I would ever write an album review of a good Charlotte album. Like, I've interviewed the band, and I've written about their singles, like, news posts. I have reviewed their shows. To me, that's a little different. Although I'm even like, yeah, I, could, I have mixed feelings about that at this point. Um, but I would review their shows again, you know? But I don't, like, personally, I don't think I would ever review a good Charlotte record because I have such an emotional tie to it. Well, like I don't, I, I just couldn't be objective enough. I don't think that's true. But you can also state that in the review, you know. Yeah, that's true. Like this, <laughs> this is, is like, I am completely biased. I will say exactly right. Right. how I feel, but <laughs> it, it's just it's a biased take. Maybe not for a publication, but maybe for a personal blog, that would be right. It, it's the kind <laughs> of thing I could. Yeah, I this. It's just why. Like, you could still have a negative, angry review that, frankly, would not be wrong because they do, they have, like, good points in this, you know? Yeah. But it's, like, you could have cut out the, in my opinion, just offensive and objectively unrelated comments and still had a good review, you know? But I think you're right. It's reflective of that, you know, kind of early, mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Just be really mean to artists that aren't cool. Kind and of especially culture. coming from, like, Enemy, who was... Is, who is, they were kind of past their prime at this point. Like, yeah. like Spin at this point wasn't as, you know, well-known. Like, the 90s is definitely Enemy's heyday. So, yeah, yeah I guess they were just trying to trade in their cred with <laughs> some harsh reviews. Yeah, which I feel like the way, at least from my perception, that's not how places get cred now. Like no. in the past several years, the way you get cred is by being the first one to break an artist. Right. And then yeah, like being right and the artist blows up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the internet too has made it so much easier to find music yeah. on your own. Like a lot of people don't need these publications anymore and they'll just find a publication that they do like, like they like their tone of writing or right. They, the or they're like this, this publication writes about the music. I like, like I adore the gray estates. Yeah. I like, yeah. I follow them. Everything they write there. I, I, I adore, I hate that they're taking a hiatus, but I know it seems like it's for good reasons. Right. But at the same time, it's like, this is like my lane, like everything they wrote about, I pretty <laughs> yeah. much enjoyed. So, <laughs> I mean, and I'll, I'll have, you know, I have a lot of friends that are music writers and like, sometimes they write about music. They like sometimes they write about music that I have no interest in, but I 
and obviously the bias that like my friends but mm-hmm. i can be like oh my gosh you're a great writer and i just love reading your writing which to me as a writer that's like the ultimate compliment someone's like i never would have checked out this band but you're a good writer so i write what you had to say and then you know right like I've, there's 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 sites that are just like here is a a quick two-star review of a record like, like right something like or it's not even like that much of a review they're just like here's some news like like punk news yeah has just turned into just like here's press releases yeah like, like not but then like i have friends like who write for sites like no echo which is a hardcore site mm-hmm. and like the writing is very good on those articles on I top can, of i don't i could never write about hardcore <laughs> yeah. like i could do like a news post but i i just like i'm not knowledgeable enough about hardcore to like really write about it but that's like a group of just like genuinely great writers that yeah even if i maybe don't like the music as much the writing yeah go try it so yeah which yeah i i mean and i've i've found artists that i enjoy you know through through that kind of thing uh Mm -hmm. with people who are good writers Definitely, it's like, you know, obviously music is just easier to access. It's so easy to discover music now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also easy for people to write about music. And it's easy to find music writing that you like and people that are writing about what you like. And if nobody's writing about the stuff that you like, well, then you can start something. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm in, like, some Facebook networking, like, music kind of music industry groups. And you know, every so often the question will come up, like, do you, you know, does anyone have an advice about starting like a music website or a blog? And I'll just, my advice will just be like, yeah, think really hard before you do that and maybe don't do it. Maybe write for someone <laughs> else instead. Um, yeah, that's which is like that, that is like a whole separate take. And not to say that I regret starting a music blog because I don't, it was like a great thing, but. There's definitely something about the ownership oh yeah it's so rewarding huge. but yeah. at the same time it's so hard to get your voice heard in that yeah that's like a- i mean i i have a poster like framed on my wall i have a tattoo of my music blogs logo like I, it was such a <laughs> great thing that i'm so proud that i did um but it's also like i went into it with no prior experience see and and my brother and i have started blogs in the past before as well and yeah. We did some interviews on them. We did yeah. reviews, lists, all sorts of stuff, and gained like no traction. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. It, and, it, and we really were never hard. really negative. What was what was your blog? Circles and sound waves. See, my blog was uh, figureheads of pop. So yeah, <laughs> like it, it's so hard to break through, especially probably when we were writing. Yeah. I mean, I was writing, like, I ran the blog 2011 to 2018, and, you know, I ended it because I, I, I had always kind of been like, this is not necessarily going to be something that's going to be forever. Like, I hope that it leads to other opportunities, um, and it did. Like, it led to several other opportunities, you know, and I had other places I was writing for, and I, at the time I ended it, I was like, I feel like I'm done with the running a blog chapter of my life mm-hmm. and i want to focus on writing 
it's it's kind of the same because like I never had much success with it, but Dylan actually managed to get some writing jobs at New Noise magazine. Amazing, yeah, in like the print, you know, side of things as well. So amazing. He he's a fantastic writer. Like yeah. I'm biased because he's my brother, but at the yeah. same time, I read his stuff and I go, "Yeah, I wish I wish I could write like that." You know, <laughs> I I wrote for Substream for a bit um, right. after, which I feel like is kind of on a similar level to New Noise, although a different focus. And they did mm-hmm. uh, lose their print a while ago. Yeah. Um, but when Substream did have print, I was like, "Oh, it's it's like you know similar similar kind of thing," um, but you know different audience i think right. different kind of different different focus yeah. um well let's read let's read one more little review and some other comments and such of broken hearts parade music omh which is definitely a site we've mentioned before on this show because that sounds familiar called it gargantuan pop rock <laughs> um yeah i don't really know what that is supposed to mean but i, I you know i wouldn't like disagree agree per se like i know i guess gargantuan probably means like larger than life like big yeah i definitely would call this like a yeah. big big pop yeah like huge yeah pop. yeah, yeah I, I, these terms. I approve that <laughs> statement yeah so i'm just like searching like for interviews and reviews and comments about the song someone actually mentioned this song there was a reddit thread there's a whole good charlotte subreddit it's not that active. I've, like, browsed it and lurked it, but it's, like, not very active. There was a Reddit thread about Good Charlotte songs about depression. Um, backstory being that, I guess, in an interview a couple years ago, Benji Madden had said something about, like, realizing kind of after the fact that their first few records were about depression and being depressed, which, like, but he didn't really realize it at the time, which, like, yes, the first few records are definitely a lot about that. <laughs> um, and so someone mentioned this song, which is not the first, like, three records. But I don't know. I hadn't thought about that before. But it does actually make a lot of sense. And I'll tell you why. Because, like, in my own personal experience, it, someone that is very negative, that is very cynical, that is very irritable that is very like i hate everything like the narrator of this song oftentimes that person is very depressed (laughs) like and may not know it right right so i i don't think this song i I don't know you know this isn't like a hold on or march on or sos or motivation proclamation that's like very clearly about being sad <laughs> but i i actually like i do actually appreciate that comment that comment a lot because i think that makes like a lot of sense um let's read some comments from songmeetings.com which has like honestly become my favorite website in the world <laughs> so as a note, this song was recorded in 2006. The album was recorded in 2006 before Welcome to the Black Parade came out. Bo05 said, Gerard Way must be LOLing at this song. Lame. <laughs> and you got a lot of people having a lot of discourse about My Chemical Romance. And, like, you know, then you have people coming back saying, just because they used the parade doesn't mean they copied My Chemical Romance. 
Right. If the song was written before the album came out, unless they were talking to those guys, which I doubt they were. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But yeah, like, I don't know how what their relationship was like. They they existed in the same realm of music. Yeah. So, but even at yeah, I guess even at this point, because My Chemical Romance had already done the first couple records, and yeah, this was them going into like their major label mainstream push too. So. Yeah. It is funny. It is like the same timing in the band. But it's also like, I don't know, Welcome to the Black Parade. Like that's the song that still gets played on the radio. Yeah. Like pretty regularly. And this wasn't a single either. Right. Exactly. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> there was something in the zeitgeist that made them both yeah. come to the same conclusion to write about parades. <laughs> yeah. Pure Hedonism said the lyrics are quite stupid, but you can't get them out of your head just like I just want to live. And then Veggie Style comes back and says, how in the world are these lyrics stupid? <laughs> you know. I wouldn't say these lyrics are stupid. Maybe. No. They're like, it's kind of a silly song with like the horns and such taken into account just because right. that was like out of left field for them kind of. But like, that's kind of what this album was, I think someone had said trumpets and guitar like who knew trumpets and guitars could sound good together and then xx pretty pretty comes back and says have you never listened to ska music <laughs> right there's a uh, yeah over 50 years of <laughs> guitars right. and horns together yeah um the vivtum says well i like the cd actually this is my favorite song ever it's cheesy but in a good way uh choker 91 said that they think this song is against the internet. So the person who sings this song is happy that he can tell anyone in the world how bad he feels and his heart is broken and stuff like this. But in real life, he's happy and doesn't have any problems at all. And you can join on MySpace and pages like this and those friend finders, but most of the people you talk with, you won't see in your life. But sometimes they start a relationship and tell them, I love you and I miss you, but they won't say this if they're standing face to face. I think this pers- the person in this song claims that love is dead because of the internet. Uh, I don't really get that. Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, you know, if that's what inspires them, I mean, sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It's like, I don't know. I feel like that. I just feel like that is more of like a very personal interpretation as opposed yeah. to like something that was clearly communicated in the song. But that doesn't right. mean it's wrong, you know? No, I mean, you could take any... There is something, like, once an artist puts something out there, there is an argument that says it ceases to be that artist's, and then yeah. the audience then takes ownership. So, right. there's something to it. Um, we'll read a couple Amazon reviews real quick. So, Tim Bruh, Bruff, Bro, I don't know how to pronounce that, <laughs> gave the album a 3 out of 5 and said... Good Morning Revival is an album that was made by a band in transition. Joel and Benji Madden went from being snot-nosed punks to being Hollywood gossip subjects. It's hard not to read Joel's tabloid fodder dalliance with Hilary Duff into Broken Hearts Parade. Or the Heartbreak Ballad, Where Will We Be Now? Or the Good Boy Loses Bad Boy Break Her Heart Apart tirade. However, it was their adolescent frenzy that made Good Charlotte interesting, and Good Morning Revival sounds like they want to become another generic arena rock band. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with like their interpretation of this album at all. Like, I don't know if I get generic arena rock band, but I guess if you take songs like something else or Beautiful Place, that might sound more like that. 
they were trying it, it definitely sounds like a band trying the to go for it as far as yeah. like we want this to be something outside of the norm for us and it, for it to be successful. Yeah. Um, I don't know too much about like the tabloidy like relationship stuff. So I, I, I didn't read that myself the way this song specifically is written. I don't like we talked about earlier. I don't get like a specific event tying it in there. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it is about, maybe a specific event did inspire it. Maybe it didn't, but I, this song is not like, I think if I didn't know some of their relationship kind of personal history, just from like reading a lot of, just because I was like 15 at the time and like loved reading gossip mags, you know? (laughs) Um, And I still enjoyed reading those. Uh, I I don't think I would have necessarily like written into, oh, it's about this person kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. One more Amazon review. Anonymous user gave it a two out of five and said, there is some truly original stuff in here, unless I'm missing something like Broken Hearts Parade and the River, but it's not enough to cover up the fact that Good Charlotte sounds confused and desperate for success. The arrival of Good Morning Revival is a sad day for Good Charlotte because they've become everything that people pegged them as. Wannabes and cheap ripoffs. Sorry, guys, but this band has become the Kevin Federline of rock and roll. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I necessarily like... I disagree in that I don't get that the negative interpretation of that, but like, I don't think that's like a wrong viewpoint. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, I mean they're trying different things, but I yeah. wouldn't say it's necessarily desperate. It just yeah, they're just stretching and trying things that they haven't done before. Yeah, trying for a little bit more of a mainstream appeal because you know, glossy pop punk isn't like it has a ceiling. Like there's a limit to how many people will be interested in your exactly in that sound, especially in the late two thousands. I mean- and talk about Fall Out Boy who basically went full pop and are bigger than they ever were when they made like pop punk or you know true emo right yeah it's it's not it's not unusual like Jimmy World went from being like a just a straight up emo band to a pretty big alternative pop rock band so yeah it's just a well trod path that these type of bands yeah. follow so yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I'm curious to see if they'll ever like bring back any of this kind of sound in future records. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> so, Justin, how has Broken Hearts Parade held up for you over time? So I hadn't heard this song in 13 years. Wow. <laughs> I heard it in 2007 when it was new, and then. I didn't listen to it again until uh, getting ready for this episode. Right. So, yeah, I think I've in it gave me the exact same feeling I heard it in 2007 because I, I I heard it I was like this is great this is fun this is upbeat I enjoy it it's got horns I'm here yeah. for it like that's exactly how I felt listening to it again <laughs> now so yeah yeah I, I think it's held up pretty well I mean. Horns never made it into their discography going forward. So, I mean, I guess it 
wasn't something that they particularly were interested yeah. in pursuing. But I, I would love to hear I would love to hear Penny and Joel's opinions on the horns because Billy and Paul commented, but I you know, I would guess Benji and Joel voted for the horns, but I also I am curious if they stand by that. Who knows? I bet they would. I mean Yeah. I would. I mean, it worked. It works in the song, so yeah. there's no reason not to stand by it. I, and I'm curious, like, if, if Billy and, and Paul have a different opinions many years down the line. It's true. They could they could have adjusted since then. Yeah, but. I mean, who knows, you know? <laughs> so, a few questions to wrap this up. What has Good Charlotte meant to you over the years, and how has that changed? So, I mentioned earlier that I never. They were never my band, and then yeah. they became uncool to like. Very uncool, yes. So there was this time period where I was just like, yeah, they're just that band, you know, they're around, and I never yeah. thought too much about their music. And then in 2007, this album came out, and I was like, hey, I like this. Yeah. So over the years, as I went a little bit older, my opinions on music have kind of softened to the point of <laughs> I don't get like as upset about things I don't like like I did when I was like 19 or 20. I think getting upset at things you don't like when you're 19 or 20 is a very common thing. Right. And depending on what scene you're involved with, I was involved with like metal bands at the time. Right. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely not going to talk about like Good Charlotte in any positive way in 2007. I mean like but when that record came out, I enjoyed it. So 2006, I wouldn't say anything positive. Now I would say they are a good band who released maybe their best materials in the early part of their career. Yeah. But they wrote fun, catchy songs that spoke to a certain group of people that they stayed with it. So yeah. they they did what they wanted to do and it earned them an audience forever. So yeah. it's go, good for them. I wish I yeah. would have done something like that in my life. Right? <laughs> right? Doesn't like every creator want to do something that people are talking about many years down the road? Right. Like I would love to have been in a band that now someone was doing a song by song podcast on. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I, I told some of my parents friends about it and, and they were like, yeah, you know, the, the one was like, you know, if someone did something like this on the Smiths, like I'd be into that. I'm sure I'm it like, exists. That's like, I'm right. And I'm like, cause I'm like, that is, that is like a cult band. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there's ones for Blink-182. They just, yeah, they uh, just they, apparently Blink-155 just did their last episode. Yeah. My friend is a very, very big fan of that show. And so he's texts me constantly. He's like, Oh, they did this on the show and the show's ending. And so I was like, I assume they're going to do something else. Cause why would you waste like that following that you've developed at this point? Yeah. So. Maybe they'll pick another band and do their discography. There was there's a podcast on 13 Reasons Why called 13 Reasons Why Not. And <laughs> they've now, after they finish the show, they've now just rebranded to Why Not. And they talk about all kinds of like teen dramas and such. Like Yeah, I mean, just shift over to something else. Yeah. Like there's there's a there's a propagandi podcast that's like pretty Amazing. cool and like 
Yeah, there's. I wonder if like, there's got to be a Taylor Swift podcast. Oh, I bet there is. I bet because I, I bet I, like a <laughs> like you could totally do something like this about Taylor Swift. Like, oh, for sure. Especially like she was like a she's a public figure too in the sense yeah. that like she's tabloid. She's like awards person. Like, and she she also, despite being like one of the biggest artists in the world, is like has that kind of cult following of like people who know every single detail of every single song and they analyze like how many holes are in the fence like Taylor would be a great person to do a podcast about it's yeah. got to exist i'm sure there's probably like 10 of them yeah to be there's, honest. there's a bunch of degrassi podcasts oh yeah one of them hosted i'm hosted by mike park from yes. asian man mm-hmm. records yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i've listened to a few he had rod roswell kit on for like a i think it was, <laughs> I think it was like when emma and sean go on their first date that episode i think but yeah that 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 one's fun i think it's in love with a girl named spike which you know is the reference to a skanky pickle song so like per it yeah if there was going to be a degrassi podcast i would hope mike park was involved with it yeah yeah so justin do you have any last words about broken hearts parade about good charlotte or about yourself or about Um, punk lotto yeah i mean it's funny because like our show doesn't dive as deep onto like single songs like right, this one right. does. We we look at things in an album as a whole. So like, I definitely listened to this album a couple times all the way through just so I could have the full context of the song. Um, you know, it, it's an enjoyable song where the band tried to do something different and you have to commend them to that on a record full of songs where they were trying to do something different. Yeah. I mean, there's the stories about the producer, like throwing out all the songs or maybe keeping mm-hmm. like one out of a batch of 20. So they pieced together a record that even made 20 year old me metal me. Yeah. Hey, it's pretty good. You know, so <laughs> they accomplished something. I don't because Because 20 year old metal had you very well could have been like, <laughs> this is bad. Like, this is so uncool. Like, yeah. I mean, 2007 was a pretty big year for me personally. Cause sure. I failed out of college and then came back to my hometown and <laughs> shared a room with my brother, uh, got a job working at Barnes and Noble and then made friends here. And then I've stayed here. Yeah. So, it was like the end of a chapter and the beginning of another. So like 2007 was important for me. And I think this record maybe wasn't one of those, at least in my musical development, the the first hints of me expanding my horizons past yeah. metal and extreme stuff. So it, it it's a noteworthy point in my life. I, I like hearing about your background and, uh, you know, being like a metal fan because it, it's, <laughs> you know, like I listen to Punk Lotto and I'm like, oh, I, I, this is a guy that like just loves punk rock. I mean, and that is what it and is. And you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, in fact, I'm not really much of a metal fan anymore. Like that really? side of me, it's just, I, I like to say that I burned out my bandwidth for that kind of music um like was it was it just a phase 
Yeah, I, it probably was. Like, if you in the grand scheme of my life, right. it seems more like a phase. Because I always liked punk stuff early on as a kid and like a teen. And I, Five Iron Frenzy was my all-time favorite band for years. So, like, I got into metal music because of, like, who I was friends with. And then in college, that expanded more so. But then it was also, like, the type of metal that was, like, it's not accessible. It's, like... Mm-hmm the more extreme experimental stuff. But there was always that part of me that was like into punk music. So it just took making the right friends yeah. to really fully unlocking like everything I enjoyed. Like I, I rarely ever listen to metal now. So I'm punk, indie, you know, that's my primary fields, but yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, okay, so you went ahead, you got ahead of things, and you sent me this song, but do you want to tell our listeners your recommendation for the Generation GC and Friends Spotify playlist? Yeah, I, I was listening to the the most recent episode you posted Amazing. last week, getting ready for this episode. Okay. So um, I was listening to it, and then when I got to the end, I was like, oh, there's a playlist. So yeah. <laughs> I think everyone likes a recommendation. Um. So this song is called the broken hearts parade and it kept reminding me of a band that I was, I was actually friends with. I'm I'm still friends with the people in the band. Um, And the name of the band is old flings and they were from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, They played fest a couple times toward Europe once, at least like an LP and a bunch of seven inches on some local labels. Um, and like we became friends with them due to just like going to shows and seeing them, but they they had a catchphrase that was um, "Long live the broken heart," like that huh. was their catchphrase, uh, and it kind of became like the. It, they aren't a concept band, but the band is called Old Flings, and the majority of this re- <laughs> the record is about relationships, and like failed relationships at that. Yeah. So I've always associated them with like, you know, sad after a relationship. Like that's right. definitely <laughs> the vibe they put out there. Um, and I, I'm recommending the song grip off of uh, their record. Spite um, came out in 2012. Um, the, the style of music that they play is very influenced by Sam. I am and knapsack um, with a little bit of like gin blossoms thrown in there too. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, just like the Broken Hearts Parade just reminded me of the Long Live the Broken Heart. And yeah, uh, this song is more of an upbeat song. It, it's it's I picked it because it's like the most stand, most standout like tune on the record. That's the last track on the record is called Spite, and it's it's more of a downer. But it, and it was their show closer too. But it's not a great introductory track. So I went with grip because it's just like an upbeat song. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's what it reminded me of was them. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that will be uh, included in the playlist listeners. Justin, thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find uh, you and the podcast on the internet? Oh, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for having us on the having me on the show. Uh, (laughs) You can find our show at punk lotto pod dot simplecast.com 
that's kind of like the main site and then you can awesome. get links to your other stuff we have social medias all that good stuff but yeah Amazing. Justin, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to episode 44 of Generation GC. Wow, 44. That's so many episodes. Last week, we talked about Mountain from the Chronicles of Life and Death. Next week, we'll be talking about a song from Cardiology. My name is Molly Huddleston. I've been your host. And you can follow Generation GC at Generation GC Pod P-O-D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow me, Molly, at M Huddleston, M-H-U-D-E-L-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And please make sure you're subscribed to the show or following on your preferred podcast provider, Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor. We're on YouTube. We're on Overcast, Stitcher, any of the apps like that that uh, pull your podcasts for you. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back next week.